Welcome into another exciting episode of Talking Ball, y'all. We're going to get things kicked up uh, on this episode. We're going to talk a little NBA basketball, talk about the Pelicans and uh, the bubble uh, aspect of the game as they uh, try to get ready to move to Orlando to kind of finish the season out. And then we're going to transition into some high school sports, talk uh, uh, to somebody that's uh, in tune uh, with the Mississippi High School Activities Association and talk uh, talk about some things that might be going on within the state of Mississippi, some sports, uh, when things are going to get kicked off, uh, kicked off, and what it might look like here in Mississippi. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we're reshaping the mammography experience. We are the only facility in the region offering a 3D mammogram with the lowest patient dose of radiation, all with increased comfort and confidence. Our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. Joining the podcast tonight is Rod Walker with the Times Picayune and New Orleans Advocate. Rod, a Mississippi guy, his roots here, the, many of our listeners in state will know him from his time with the Clarion Ledger. And Rod, we can't thank you enough for taking time for the podcast this evening. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think you're the first, um, this is the first interview I've ever done where they actually got the name of the newspaper that I work for correctly. <laughs> we changed names um, about a year ago this time. And so nobody ever gets it right. But yeah, Times Picayune, New Orleans Advocate. So look, us Mississippi guys, we're off to a good start, right? Yeah, of course. Rod, let's talk um, basketball. Um, the Pelicans, somebody you cover um, down there. And first question, just recently we find out that three Pelicans have tested a positive for COVID-19. How likely is all of this to happen, Rod? I mean, are we going to make it into the bubble in July, or do you see all of this falling apart? Um, you know, that's one of the, we talked to um, David Griffin, who's the VP uh, of basketball operations for the Pelicans, and we talked to Alvin Gentry today, uh, and that's when we found out about the three guys testing positive, and uh, we didn't know about it, and obviously they couldn't um, disclose who those guys were, but I'm sure in a couple of days it'll probably leak out. Um, I think part of the reason that the NBA, you know, they brought these guys in last week, and they go to Florida next week and the season doesn't actually start until July 30th. I think part of the reason they built so much time in was to get some of this testing done. And um, so, I mean, if you're a Pelicans fan, it's, it's good if they, you know, tested positive now. They'll be quarantined for two weeks and they can be, you know, they possibly be good to go before the season starts. But, um, you know, one of the questions I asked today, I asked um, Coach Gentry that, I mean, do you really think we can get this done? And, you know, he thinks that the NBA is taking out of precautions to, to get it done. Personally, I just don't know if they I don't know if they will, man. I just think um, you know, these positive tests keep coming out. They have sixteen players. Sixteen out of the three hundred and two players that are supposed to be going there, you know, tested positive last week. And I mean, obviously that, that number includes the three Pelicans, but um I just think, you know, we might get into July and someone else tests positive and, you know, they have to shut it down. So I just don't know. And, you know, just talking to even talking to Coach Gentry today, one of the things that he that he talked about was that, um, and I think Griffin may have actually been the one who said it, but they said that this trip to this bubble in Orlando is going to be like just a, a war of attrition pretty much. I mean, it's going to be, you know, guys trying to stay healthy and guys trying to stay injury-free. I mean, you, you're not only worried about injuries, but that you're normally worried about in the playoffs. I mean, you, you got to worry about these guys' health because the guys who 
um, end up, you know, succumb to this virus, it don't have to go away. So uh, it's going to be just interesting to see how this all plays out. And again, I'm not optimistic that this lasts up till October. I mean, it's supposed to go through October. That's when the finals are set. And I just, you know, I think it's going to be tough to, to, to go through that, um, that long of a stretch without uh, just some, some health issues and concerns. Yeah, you look at the Pels and that 10 spot coming into all this, but you look over to the east, I think the Nets are in their 7 or 8 spot on that side, and that, right, they may be calling you to be on the roster. I mean, they're <laughs> they not looking good headed into the bubble either. Right, I mean, you, you, you look at uh, DeAndre Jordan was the latest, and uh, I guess Denwell, uh, Spencer Denwell, I mean, yeah, that, that's a team that <laughs> they're on the bubble and <laughs> they could easily fall out, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so it's going to be tough. I think that's what this whole playoff is going to be like. I mean, you're just really trying to stay healthy. And, I mean, you got to really tell these guys, look, I need you to take this this serious. I mean, I, I know you may want to go to this party or go out or whatever you want to do. I mean, but you just can't do it. I mean, if you do, you're, you're really hurting your team. And, um, I mean, it's just a tricky situation. And, um and I'm surprised the NBA is even trying to pull this off. I mean, I understand why, but um, it, there's just a lot that goes into it and, and to making sure that they can stay safe until up until October. Right. You mentioned it. Commissioner Silver, just from the outside looking in, certainly you have a, a, a better and closer perspective than Jeff and I do on this. But to me, he may be the best at arguably the best commissioner going, and he seems to have the player's best interest at heart. But he's pushing this pretty hard, man. And I, and I think you're like, do you get the sense? I mean, we see players actually have spoken out about this. Do you sense from the Pelicans that some may feel that uh, inside the organization? Like, look, we're, we may be pushing something that just can't happen. You know, that was another question we asked today. You know, we, and we'll get more players this week. I mean, we haven't talked to any players yet, but that was one of the things we talked about today was just, you know, what have these conversations been like? And um, according to Coach Gentry and, the coach, and to uh, David Griffin, I mean, they said these players seem like they're, you know, all on board. So, I mean, on, on Wednesday we'll find out for sure. I mean, that's when teams have to finalize their roster. So, I mean, there could be some players who say, you know what, this isn't a good idea. I mean, you look at a guy like – and I'm just using this for an example. I mean, we haven't heard that he's not going or anything, but you look at a guy like Drew Holiday, his wife mm-hmm. had her health issues a few years ago with um, with cancer, um, Lauren Holiday. Um, she's expecting a second child now. And, I mean, I mean, there's some risk involved. I mean, and, you know, you go down there and you're down there for, I guess, until the middle of October. The middle of August would be the, you know, when the season would, the regular season would end. I mean, you go down there for this, you know, for basically a month and a half, and then you come back home. I mean, it's it's not an ideal situation. But, again, I mean, talking to Gentry and Griffith, they said that everybody seems to be on board. So um, we'll just have to see how it shakes out here in the next couple of days. It's not as backing out and, and just what happens with that. All right, we've talked enough medical and health. Let's get into the basketball side of it. Right, when you look at the pails at that 10 spot, uh, on the outside looking in of, of the eight playoff teams or the play-in tournament, we can kind of get into that too. But the schedule lays out nicely, which it should, because that's how the rest of their schedule was going to lay out. And they really uh, had a tough schedule to start, and the backside of that schedule was going to be weak. And so they deserve uh, an easy 
uh, road for these eight games to try to make it in. What do you see for the Pales over these eight games trying to uh, get to that eight spot or get into this play-in tournament? Well, this is a team that, you know, even, you know, back in March, I guess March 10th when the season stopped, this is a Pelicans team that I thought could make up that three and a half games they had left uh, that they were behind the Grizzlies. Uh, they had 18 games left, and they were only three and a half back, and they played the Grizzlies two more times, played the Spurs, I think, three times, and Sacramento two times. And all those teams were you – know, these are the teams that are bunched up with them. And I just – I thought this was a team that could definitely make it, make up their ground. And even now, I think, um, you know, you look at their schedule, they open with the Utah Jazz and then the Clippers, which are, you know, those would be two tough games. But after that, I mean, they have six games that they could, that are definitely winnable. I think, I think if this team goes six and two, I think they, they've probably done enough to, to, um, secure that at least a nine spot, which would get them in the little play in, play in tournament. And you look at Memphis' schedule, I mean, it's pretty brutal. I mean, they, they have a really, really tough stretch. I get some really good teams. You look at Portland's schedule, it's really tough. And I don't have it in front of me right now. But, I mean, those teams, the schedule definitely works in the Pelicans' favor, and they deserved it because of just based on what they had left anyway. They have the easiest schedule there. Um, you look at the opponent's winning percentage. I mean, their their opponent's winning percentage is less than 500. And, you know, that's something that's sort of tricky to look at, though, because these teams that are in Orlando won't be um, – just because they play well, you know, before the season ended, that doesn't mean they're going to play well in, in Orlando. I mean, some of these teams are going to be shorthanded probably. As I mean, you use Brooklyn for an example. I mean, we, we've already seen what happened with them. So then teams have to get into the flow, of, you know, just get back into the rhythm of playing basketball. And I mean, they've been out for a long time. So all that kind of factors in. But I think the Pelicans team, uh, I think it's definitely laid out in front of them. It's just going to be a matter of they go down there and, and take care of business and, and, and take this like as if it's a regular season and, and you know, just really a focus. And I think there'll be some teams here that won't be as focused. I mean, you have some guys who, you know, they have, like I said, they have families back home and they might play, you know, let's, let's play these eight games and get on back, get back to our family. Yeah, so, right. I don't I don't think the Pelicans will have that mindset. I mean, you got so many young guys. Who, I mean, you know, Zion's really young. Brandon Ingram's really young. And these guys haven't even, they've never been in the playoffs. So I think to them, I think it may be a big deal. So I think that, I think that um, works in the Pelicans' favor a little bit, just having guys like that on this roster. Right. When you look at Zion and, of course, coming back from that injury, that's been surely noted. And um, his load management uh, coming back from it, he was really weaning off of that load management when it got uh, shut down. How do we expect the Pels to to use him and what kind of run is he going to get now that he's had this much time set separation from the knee, but he hasn't been playing games. It may be kind of tricky with the way they handle Zion. Yeah, and that was, a, that was another question that was brought up today. And, you know, even Coach Jensen said they basically they don't know right now. They don't know where he is right now. I mean, they just they haven't been able to do anything. I mean, they, they'll come in tomorrow and, you know, do some individual workouts, but they just haven't been able to do anything. So um, I think Zion's conditioning and health will be – a really pivotal part of, you know, just what kind of run this team can actually make. I mean, if he's if he's in the shape that he was when the season ended, I mean, I think they'll be fine. But if he's starting over like where he was, you know, when he was first trying to get back into playing shape, I mean, he won't be fine. And you know, and and this is only eight games, so you don't have a lot of time to catch up. I mean, they'll need him to kind of hit the ground running if if they want to make some noise in this 
in this uh, last last eight games. When you put blinders on and you're just looking at uh, the Pelicans and the NBA, a big picture, it gets lost because of everything that's happened in the world. But when you focus in on the Pelicans, they were really starting to play uh, good basketball. The moves that Griffin has made, the way Gentry has gotten these young guys to, to play together, the leadership from Holiday and Reddick, really starting to round out into a pretty good product here. The overall direction, uh, right before this uh, kind of crazy season has taken place, what do you think? I mean, what do you, the guys that they brought in and Griffin making some moves, what do you think the overall direction of, of Pelicans basketball is? I think if you're a fan of the team, I think you have to be excited. I mean, you look back to uh, I guess started with like November 23rd to that middle of December. This, t- this team lost 13 games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and pr- pretty much everybody had written them off, had written Coach Gentry off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then Derek Favors ends up coming back. You know, he took some time off. He was hurt. And then his mom, his mom passed away. And then he, you know, went through a little injury and he's come back. And, you know, when this team got healthy, I mean, they, they were a decent team. And I think it's a team that, you know, you look at the playoffs at A spot, and I'm assuming the Lakers will secure that one spot. I think the Pelicans were a team that the Lakers would not want to play. And I do I think the Pel do I think the Pelicans will beat the Lakers in a seven game series? No. But I do think that the Pelicans are a team that could, you know, push them to, you know, six games maybe. And, you know, in the first round of playoffs, nobody wants to play six games. I mean, that first round is usually, you know, sweeps or five games for a one seed. So I just think um I think it's a really dangerous team that's playing really well, and I think I think this is a team where the you look at the core of this team and just those, these young guys. I think the future is really bright, and I just think this trip to Orlando is going to you know give people a chance to you know see how how bright that future is. You think the executives at ESPN would be happy with that first round matchup? <laughs> uh, without a doubt, man. I'm, I'm sure that's the one they got there. They got to have their fingers crossed, and I think I think if you're a basketball fan, I think that's the one you want to see. I mean, and obviously, you know, seeing John Morant, John Morant uh, with Memphis playing against the Lakers would be good. But I just think when you look at, I mean, you look at the, the players on the Pelicans roster, and you know, obviously three of these guys were with the Lakers this time a year mm-hmm. ago, and you look at the Lakers roster with Anthony Davis on. I mean, it, and then obviously the Zion factor. I mean, it's just so much intrigue in a in a first round matchup like that, and. Um, that would definitely be, you know, the highest rated um, first round mm-hmm. series, regardless of, you know, um, who, regardless of what, what the other matchups are. I mean, that's, that's must-see TV, I think. Absolutely. And uh, watching Joe Myers and call these games, and you say must-see TV, man, he does as good a job play-by-play. I'm a, I'm a radio guy, Jeff and I know, cover Popperville football here back in Mississippi, so we're radio guys, and Listening his calls, Rudd, on, on the TV side of it is fascinating. And then to see the way I get – I don't know what I thought of Ingram coming here, but to watch him night in and night out, man, he has been so pleasant to watch and just a really good player. What have been, what have been your impressions of Ingram in the way that he's played? Oh, I agree, man. He's just had a tremendous season. I think he'll be in that conversation for most improved player. Um, I mean, he just had a really a great year. And I still remember the first time uh, we got a chance to talk to Brandon Ingram was at the uh, – they had like an introductory press conference for him and Josh Hart and um, and um, Lonzo Ball. And, you know, Brandon, he just so laid back. He came in there and he just 
he's so nonchalant, you almost seem like he didn't want to be at the press conference. You wondered, I remember people wondering, like, man, he looks like he doesn't even want to be here. And that wasn't the case at all. I mean, that's just who he is as a person. He just kind of laid back and, and chill like that. And, um, and he's sort of a different player once he gets on the court. And um, he just had a really good season. I mean, for him to make the all-star team and, I mean, you know how hard the all-star team is to make in the Western Conference anyway. He's he's just been great. He's been great to to um, not only great on the court, but even, even for the media. I mean, he's just great. I mean, when you talk to him, he's just always uh, he's always just you know telling you he's really honest and you know straightforward with things. If he has a bad night, he'll own up to it. And and if he has a, a good night, I mean, he's sort of you know he just kind of he's always expecting to do even better. So I mean, he's just a really He's been a really uh, great addition to this team, and I think he's probably – I think this is what David Griffin expected, but I think as far as the fans, I think he's probably exceeded expectations um, as far as uh, what most fans were thinking coming in, coming into this season. Absolutely. All right, Rob, we'll let you out of here, but i got to ask a Mississippi question before we do. A spot, that, a spot that you missed, man, like coverage-wise, a program, a coach, or a player uh, from your Mississippi days or even a, a – a, a diner or a catfish house that you may have stopped off of. Give us a myth from from your days back on the Mississippi side of things. Man, there was so many, man. I, um, every little place I went to in Mississippi on a Friday night, man, there was nothing mm-hmm. like it. And you know, working for the Clarion Ledger, I mean, we were like the you know state newspaper. So, I mean, when we came to a stadium, I think sometimes, or you know, basketball gym, I think if the Clarion Ledger was there, I mean, people, I think players and coaches sort of stepped their game up a little bit. It was like it was almost like ESPN was coming to town. So uh, you know, they kinda of rolled out the red carpet for us a little bit. It was just uh it was really good good times always. I think I'd probably say Batesville just because I mean mm-hmm. obviously you know how good Sapanola was when I was sure. covering sports there and uh, so I made so many trips there but it was just um just always a great atmosphere and um if you're covering one of their games, I mean I mean you know about the line of players that have come through there mm-hmm. but just Whoever they were playing was always really getting up for Sapphire because you want to be the team to end that streak. So, but I mean, I could, I mean, I've probably been to every nook and cranny in this state. <laughs> I mean, uh, I remember coming down to um, uh, Pearl River Central. Um, and I think I came to Poplarville after the storm, maybe. I can't remember, but uh, one of them had a coach who went to the military and he got, he got on overseas. This was early 2000s. And, so, I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere, man. I've, been to some some great places and uh i still try to keep up with what's going on back home in mississippi so i mean it's you know i follow everybody i can on twitter just to kind of know what players are good and you know you see some of the same you know how mississippi is you go to certain towns yep. you see the same last names on the roster you yeah i was thinking that when you said south canola about eight or nine of those last names they just seem to shuffle through that long winning streak yeah yeah i know even Tulane this year they had a guy whose last name was Keys and he was from um, Tamersville, Laurel. I, no, we went to Laurel, but he was he was a Keys, and I mean that's one of those names that is really uh, prominent over in that in that um, part of the state. So yeah, I mean it's just a state that I'll always and I'll always keep up with Mississippi. I mean it's, that'll never change. Uh, I've been gone for seven years, and I still like to know what's going on there. Well, you said uh, stepped your game up, a guy that. Um, we had on last week and Rick Cleveland and he tipped his cap to you in the article that you had put out on um, getting the state flag change, which of course happened over the weekend and in, into this week. So uh, 
just the tip of the cap from him and well deserve an awesome article and just how proud are you of, of that change, Rod? And then I promise that's my last question. Oh yeah, I mean I was glad to see it and I think you know, you just look at across the state some of the different articles. I mean I read Rick's article, you know, he lives there, uh, Ross Bellinger who mm-hmm. is from um, from the coast, you know, he works for Sports Illustrated now. He wrote an article about it. So I think that was just just in among journalists, I mean in the state, I mean I think uh, we want to see a change, even the ones of us who no longer live there. And you just saw so many other people in the state step up. I mean, look at the coaches and ADs. You know, they made the trip to Jackson um, sure. last Thursday or Friday, whenever it was. Uh, I think some of the business leaders in Mississippi stepped up, um, the, some of the clergy. So, I mean, it's just it's like it was a collective effort from a lot of people who wanted to see a change. And, uh, you know, it makes Mississippi, you know, we're able to kind of stick our chest out a little bit just to, you know, sure. see that some progress has been made after all these years. Rod, man, we appreciate your time and uh, keep up the good work. And if this went well enough for you, man, maybe we can get you back on. We thank Uh, you for your time this evening. Yeah, anytime, man. I'm always um, willing to come on a show that's, you know, based in Mississippi. So you don't ever have to worry about me telling you no. Thank you, Rod. All right. Thanks, man. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we offer a wide range of healthcare options. The Highland Center for Women's Health provides total obstetrical and gynecological care for women of any age. Our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. Joining the podcast tonight is Jake Thompson with the Oxford Eagle. We've had Jake on a couple times um, through our podcast, and so we appreciate him being a friend of the show. And uh, Jake, tonight we just kind of want to get you to catch our listeners up on what football and what fall sports may look like in the state of Mississippi. Um, They had their meeting today, so anything you kind of learned from that meeting, if you would share with our listeners off top, would be much appreciated. Sure thing. Uh, I'm sure, as you know, and probably talked about with some other guests since you started back up here for for the summer, football and high school sports and even collegiate sports, you know, going to look a lot different. And we don't know how or when now it might even be played for football specifically, especially with some of the options the MHSA committee talked about today, and they had a meeting this morning. And it's one of the options that was brought up, as I kind of learned about last night, was that they were the idea of flipping basically all your spring sports that you would play, your major sports like softball, baseball, and some of those others across country uh, would flip and replace the fall sports of football, volleyball, and I believe swimming is also in the fall with leaving your winter sports kind of where they are, basketball, soccer. That was an idea that kind of started brewing and I guess made the agenda today. And that was, that was not their first option as uh, Dean Hinton, Don Hinton, I'm sorry, what the MHSA told me when I talked to him after the meeting. Uh, but it was one on the table, which, you know, that's an interesting one. But another one is that I think is more likely, as I was listening to him, was pushing fall, the start of fall, trying to keep fall sports in the fall and maybe push the start back a little bit later and maybe even into September. And there was no actual dates or months uh, in mind, but knowing football starts late August, it'd probably be September-ish, but None of that was decided on, but that's kind of where we are right now. Jake, your idea, and I'm actually going to get Jeff to ask this question because it's been his idea really from uh, 
probably pretty soon after we kind of knew more about COVID, which of course we're learning more about all the time, COVID-19. But Jeff, go ahead and ask some of the ideas you had talked about with the non-district um, schedules and, and kind of looks like they may be looking in that direction. Yeah, Jake, you were talking about how they, they were mentioning maybe pushing them back. And we had we had Don uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and this was still mid-June. So, we you know, we didn't really get into it. But he said – well, I asked the question. But then he said there was room built into the schedule. It, somebody approached me and, and asked me, and I'm, I'm just a talking head, me and Clay. We, we cover football and, and sports and do this podcast but my opinion is what is or let me ask you what do you think about the committee putting in place of just playing the district games start after labor day in mid-september play your six five six seven whatever it is district games and then go straight in the playoffs forego the preseason games so to speak non-district games because these kids had no time in pads the spring was canceled can't be in pads right now uh, to risk, you know, t- no injuries. Do you see the 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 high school activities association doing something like that? Maybe just playing a a district schedule and then going straight for the playoffs. I could definitely see that, and that's actually something I kind of brought up just we're talking with coaches, uh, Coach Fair at Oxford and Coach Cutcliffe here or, or at Lafayette and Oxford up here. Uh, you know, and others. Just I, why wouldn't you? Just focus on region play if you think you're going to lose some of the season. And, you know, a lot of these schools, you know, 6A and some of these others have a very large non-region schedule, four or five games. And I, kind of an idea I tossed around just before when all this kind of just started getting shut down and everybody was wondering what was going to happen. If you got to play football, maybe just do one or two. You know, treat it, treat it like a preseason. Give these kids some of that first part of the season as a training camp or their preseason camp that they may lose in early August. And, and then maybe play one or two games uh, to get them ready, you know, and then start your the games that matter for the playoffs. You know, I think that's a common common idea that will probably get traction, especially depending on what the the committee decides to vote on in a couple of weeks. Jake, you get the privilege of covering uh, some pretty elite programs. You just mentioned them in Lafayette and Oxford in your backyard there in your coverage territory. Uh, we've been fortunate here to – with the podcast to cover, of course, Pearl River County, including PRC, Picayune, and Popperville. Picayune and Popperville have had extended seasons over the past few seasons. Popperville's played in the max amount of games over the last four years. The gates, uh, Jake, for those games that we potentially are, are looking at wiping away to a program like Oxford and Lafayette maybe could handle uh, losing those gates a little easier than teams across the, the state. What were the coaches' reaction? Maybe you hate to bring finances into it, but it's a part of all um, all of life and high school athletics, certainly not immune to that. Did they have any comment about losing the gate money? You know, that's not that's obviously money for the Oxford and Lafayette athletic directors hasn't really been a, for, uh, something that's popped up yet, I guess mostly because they don't want to think about it because they don't know what might happen with football season. And, and when it might get played, but you know, I cover Water Valley, which is a 3A school on a much smaller scale, so kind of fits perfectly in your scenario. Of what if Brad Embry can't get his football team out there? Who is the athletic director for Water Valley? And the gate for football kind of sets the tone for money they're able to spend on top of a budget that they have for athletics, but that budget is has a revenue projection to kind of help fund the rest of the way for a lot of the smaller schools throughout the season, and. 
So if you lose football or you don't get it till January, February, March, whenever they would choose to start it, if they actually decided to flip, I mean, that puts a lot of the programs, not just for this year, uh, for upcoming school year in trouble, but the, the overlying outcome could kill a lot of programs or sports for these smaller schools for years to come in terms of trying to recover from that money lost just for this year. Yeah, and Jeff mentioned, you know, having uh, Don Hinton on the show a couple weeks ago, and I just don't envy them trying to make decisions. As we see the daily numbers, I mean, I know last week we got over the 1,000 mark, and we've been averaging. I mean, I'm looking at it daily. I've seen, I believe today was either five or 600 uh, new cases in the state. The numbers for the actual virus or disease, uh, just don't indicate any good news when it comes to sports. Do you see that any other way, Jake? Uh, I, no, and I sat through Oxford School Board's meeting last night, and they were going over their plan that they approved, and they're still actually working on the finite details because they're sending stuff out to parents, surveys of who what uh, do you, who wants their kids to come back for traditional start or who wants them to stay home and continue doing the virtual learning that everybody had to do in, in spring. And because and in the spring, all these cases had aren't weren't there that are have now been reported throughout March to now. So no, I don't envy anybody who is tasked with these decisions, which, as they mentioned last night, may be the toughest plans and decisions they're having to make because there is no right answer. There's no solution that fits everything. And you know, on the athletic side, that you know, that's a lot of people's kind of escape from all this. Is will there be sports? You know, everybody's watched golf and NASCAR more than anybody probably ever has in their life because it was back on TV. Sure. And but because it's an escape for a few hours of everything else that you've seen on TV and all just all the other news that has popped up this summer. So I mean, it's these are hard decisions, and you know, yes, we're we get to cover them, and we it's a privilege to cover them and write about it, but we're also having to witness these these people making tremendous decisions that. You know, they don't know if they're the right answers. And that's what they say. You know, we could decide this today and then tomorrow it could all be thrown out the window. And because we're told nothing's going to happen and school has to stay closed at least through next year. I mean, it's it's ever evolving. And just the, the, the probably the sleepless nights, all these coaches and superintendents and athletic directors have probably had of, of thinking of all these scenarios that you and I have just talked about. It, it, it's something I don't envy at all. Jake, I'll ask this. I mean, and I know. Mr. Hinton hinted at it uh, there, but a timeline on this deal. I know football coaches and baseball coaches swim, track, whatever the tennis, whatever the sport may be, softball. I mean, they've got to flip gears pretty shortly. They're going to have to have a heads up. Like, when would the state's deadline on, particularly if they're going to flip-flop the seasons, when would that come and even pushing back football? I mean, football is kind of like a – a pitcher you're gearing up and you're doing different work leading up to a date you don't want to push too hard if for an all mid-august start if it's going to be a late september um any kind of timeline laid out today uh you know i think he said because i asked him this uh, you know if you're not meeting into july 14th that gives that puts you what 13 days from volleyball starting practice preseason practice and about a couple you know about another week or a handful of days after that from football starting their preseason practice. So if you're, if they were wanting to flip these, I mean, July 14th, when they reconvene, they've got to have a plan one way or the other. And that's basically what he alluded to is that we need to decide something and have a clear consensus in the middle of July when we get back together, because, you know, you, you probably know athletic directors and talk to people down there on a, just like I do, just friends and coaches. 
making schedules is something that happens mm-hmm. almost a year out. Like soccer, I was talking to a soccer coach up here for Oxford and Coach Crane, and he said when our season ends, regular season coaches are making schedules already for next year, which for those who are in the playoffs kind of puts them behind the eight ball because they're not focused on schedules. So if you just put that in perspective of all the sports that may map out a year in advance, and you're going to sit here on July 14th and say football, volleyball, your your season's flipping, but you can probably keep your schedule. We'll just figure out the days the season starts. You know, they have a set schedule. But if you sit there and tell baseball, softball coaches, hey, in two weeks, y'all get to start preseason and then games right after that, y'all got to come up with a schedule. I mean, that's, that's tough stuff they've got to figure out. How does that work? Do they get shorter seasons because they don't know, A, when they can play or how long they can play or how many games they can get set up quickly? I mean, it's all these domino effects coming from one decision, which is why I think they're trying really hard to just focus on maybe bumping the whole schedule athletic calendar back a few weeks by keeping fall sports first, but starting in maybe in September, as we've all kind of alluded to. Jake, as I, you've been in these meetings and you're, you were talking – and you just said uh, you were sitting on Oxford's uh, – you know, you went into the school board meeting and stuff like that. Have you heard uh, when these sports get back going, whether they, whether they flop them and play the baseball and the softball and the stuff now and then push football back, have you heard or got any vibe of what it might look like? Uh, fan uh, attendance down will – and I'm going to put it this way because we have an interest in it, but – people calling the games for radio or internet or even you as a sports writer uh who is going to be admitted in your mind or your opinion or have you heard who will be uh admitted uh to come in and who not you know what what the numbers might look like you know that's something that that i actually didn't even think to ask hinton because i was thinking of all these other questions on the fly since i got him on the phone and but i feel like that's going to be something that's going to come down to what the you know, the, the state guidelines are for gatherings, which right now it would be basically almost nobody outside of the coaches mm-hmm. and the teams because you have so some schools have such large rosters. Now, some schools have, you know, the bare minimum, just enough to get offense, defense, and special teams, and some of those are duplicates, so that would help. But, you know, I, I fully have anticipated, even if we got to start football close to on schedule, that there may be no fans or you're going to have to tell parents because telling them they can't come, that's, you know, that's going to be hard to keep them through that gate or have them watch through the in parking lots where you can see the field from your car, like a drive-in. Now that's not ideal and you don't really get to see much, but I, I mean, I fully anticipate even, even media being told, you know, Hey, if the numbers aren't there, you may not be able to get there. Or if you can sit out outside the perimeter and watch, you know, that's allowed. I think that's once they figure out what sports will play, or when, if they know for sure they're going to start sports at this certain time, no matter what sport it might be, I think then the school district may even it may fall on them, kind of like it's falling on them to enforce eligibility for players if you're only virtual only and not attending actual class to figure out how to handle fans if there isn't some overarching umbrella mandate passed out. Chase, when, when we've talked about it, and I know we don't have a solution, but the reasoning behind potentially if they did the flip-flop would be what? To push football uh, to pass January, a vaccination? Uh, I mean, what would be what would, would be the hope that would be in January that we don't potentially maybe have in August? What, why, what would be the reasoning for the move? I think it's mostly due to maybe a hope of a vaccine comes, but as Hinton said 
and it's not really a secret. I mean, everybody knows football is the highest risk of contact. I mean, right off the bat, yeah. you're hitting each other. You're hitting each other in warm-ups before y'all even start playing the game. In practice, you're hitting each other. And um, so it's, you know, that's why I think they're trying. If they, if they felt like it's not safe or if cases spike, and, you know, I know July 4th is on everybody's radar of how everybody will behave and act and if the if cases spike next week toward you know towards the end of next week when they start getting test results back from this weekend, you know I think all this weighs heavily. And if they feel like football isn't safe even for the players, I think that's why they're the idea of flipping it would be because you know football, it's the toughest one out there. You're hitting each other, you're sweating on each other, spits flying everywhere, which you know as we know that seems to be the largest form of transportation for this virus from person to person or from person to surface and so on and so forth, which, you know, it, it brings into question if you're not able to do that and it's still looking dicey towards November, how does basketball get played? Because I feel that's yeah. the second most high-risk contact sport. Are you bumping up against your guy, defending him? Or, you know, even for the girls' sports, I mean, it's pretty physical. So I think if you make that di- – if you push that domino of this sport's too physical or too high-risk and then you see the year keep going and you're getting closer to the next sport, I just – that's a scary domino effect that could kick in. Yeah, and that's the reason I asked. I mean, unless you're just, you know, I guess we all are praying for a vaccine, some kind of medical um, intervention here that's going to help with this. And that that would be my only thing is if it's not here now, unless we know pretty sure that a vaccination is coming real shortly, uh, pushing it. Because when I, I Jeff can attest to this, I mean, we had uh, Coach Avalon from Pearl River Community College on last week on the show and it's not uh, it's not the college, and it's not sponsored by the college, but the community college is, is hosting a lot of showcases and actually a, a summer league. So the baseball, the softball, what I see there, and soccer even with the travel teams, they're already playing their sports. I mean, anybody that's uh, at that level in high school right now that that's playing some of this, if if they were going to be exposed, they've been exposed because those sports right now, although it's not um, affiliated with any schools, they're out there as, as if I hate to say nothing's going on. I'm sure they're practicing some safety in that, but but they're playing their sports. Yeah, you know that's that's what I found interesting. You know, there's there are sports happening. So sitting here trying to act like the world is still shut down, it, it's you're just fooling yourself. So I think that's also something that has to come into effect or come into account when they're making these decisions. Is Life is still continuing, at least in the States, and sports are being played, travel ball, rec ball, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so kids are still out there playing against one another and doing these sports, maybe not under MHSA sanction, but under other leagues and rules. So trying to act like nothing is happening and we need to keep it that way is, is their own train of thought. And I don't think that's how they're thinking, but uh, they're also got to sit there and realize they're responsible for a lot more kids in some of these leagues and they a lot more coaches and, and, and other forms of, of people. So it's it's a heavy burden. But I think there will be sports. It just depends on what capacity and what scale and, and what will come first, either in August or September. Jake, you're way up north in Oxford, and I, I believe y'all actually get seasoned there. Yeah, Down here, <laughs> Jeff and I, Jeff's a, Jeff's a huge fan of football when it's like 104 degrees on a day like it is today that we'll see men all I mean I try to be optimistic and look on the bright side some of these sports that upset 
uh, and seen soccer, baseball. I've often thought, man, uh, this is football weather, and I'm not watching football. I'm <laughs> I'm watching uh, baseball or soccer. I mean, could there be a silver lining in flipping it, some of these to where the seasons actually maybe match up to what uh, the kids are trying to compete in? Hey, you know, uh, that that's a smart idea because you see where when soccer is played in Mississippi it's you know the frozen tundra in most and at least up here and maybe not as much on the coast or down there it's not as cold but then you see other states playing soccer in the spring like and it's warmer or even in the fall like college plays you know SEC women's soccer is played in August right about right even before football starts so it's you know this is a chance to maybe evaluate that if you if you kind of freeze your sports calendar like you did in the spring and further into this coming fall to say hey maybe we can reevaluate now i know everybody has gotten into a routine and know when sports are played in mississippi high school level year in and year out but i feel like this could potentially cause a reevaluation once life gets back to normal and everybody kind of gets up gets their feet back under them to say hey is is there a way to move the sports to different places in case something like this ever happens again non-safer sports are being played maybe during high-impact times like the flu season or whatever you want to call COVID. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's here now. It's not going away even with the vaccine. It'll be here every year along with the flu. So, I mean, I feel like this is an opportunity to maybe re-strategize sports to where you can still have sports. They're not frozen because you're playing the wrong sport at the wrong time of the year when an outbreak comes through. And, Jake, it seems like you've had the opportunity to visit with Don Hinton. We certainly had that opportunity, as we've mentioned a couple of times, a couple of weeks ago. And I really feel like um, not knowing him personally, but hearing him talk and seeing his quotes, he does have the best interest of the student-athlete and the schools at, at heart. But, boy, this is going to be some tough decisions. It seems in our interview that he was leaning heavily on his uh, medical board there to – to, to make decisions, but I just don't know as this information uh, keeps coming in uh, with these numbers, how it's going to take place. And even when I'm looking at Twitter, you know, you see, and not to call names, but you see some high school coaches even across the state, like, hey, we're asking these kids to come work out. Is this smart? Even questioning right now, not even playing games, but like, I see almost a, I'm not going to say a 50 50 split, but there's certainly some sentiment along coaches that I follow that say, like, are we doing the best thing, gathering groups up even to lift and run right now? Have you heard any of that uh, from your neck of the woods up there? Um, you know, I, I feel like that's a strong concern, which is why, you know, when the, acc- the acclimatization period of when they started sports pra- or weren't, you know, activities of some kind back up on June 1st, at least the schools I cover up here didn't even come close to using the weight room and they couldn't because of you know the requirements for indoors but even they rolled out some of the weights and bars that they could wipe down easily but still trying to keep you know that that concentration of people in an area where germs and stuff fly around and you know if, if it was me and i had a kid i would just i'd be afraid it, it, you know i think everybody would be of sending them out there and working out or even and doing stuff outside of sprints and calisthenics and cardio which is what a lot of the teams up here were doing those first couple of weeks just to get the get their you know lungs back full after sitting on the couch playing video games probably for about three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know I would have them just do stuff at home and go do what you can there. But 
tell your strength coach, tell whoever you need to that the stuff that requires full contact, you know, I, I'll do that at home. And if I have to zoom to you, I will to, you know, just so you know, I'm keeping up with it. But until I, until school is back and everybody's kind of getting back to a field house or where a lot of equipment is, I would just be leery of, of that. Now I know that's me and that's probably not the sure. majority of thought in Mississippi for parents, but you know, it's just, like I said, it's a lot of tough calls to make. Jake, man, we appreciate you joining us tonight and this good information, good conversation. Um, you keep your ear to the ground with this stuff, man, and we'll try to get you back on if you're willing to come back on and provide us an update after that uh, mid-July meeting, if you don't mind doing that for our listeners. I'll be more than glad to. I always enjoy coming on and talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jake. Tell our listeners one more time, Jake, I, I enjoyed reading your article. I believe it was like a 10, 10-year kind of review of you being in this uh, business and, and some on the state flag tell our listeners where they can find you and uh, your twitter handle if you don't mind uh, you can find me at jake thompson oe on twitter and oxfordeagle.com is where you find i write just about anything and everything front page back page everything in between so y'all can find all all the all the news up there at oxfordeagle.com jake thank you again man have a good evening bud i, I will thanks for having me y'all too bye-bye